0: Good morning. Um, before we get started, before we get into the text, I have a confession to make, but I think it will be relevant to us in, in our text today. That confession is that I'm not a huge fan of romantic comedies. I don't know if that surprises you or not, but it's true. It's uh, true. And in the end, I think it's because, really, romantic comedies lack depth uh, and connection to reality in terms of what real relationships are like. Um, in, In romantic comedies, typically there is some sort of deception or betrayal that damages the main relationship to the point of ruin, but in the end... That deception or betrayal gets overlooked for the sake of the grand romantic gesture that is made and the movie ends with a romantic long embrace and kiss of the main couple and everything's all right. Um, But that's not really how relationships work and we know that relationships are not as easy as that and um, when we hurt one another, that hurt has to be dealt with. Uh, and there needs to be redemption and forgiveness and restoration as a result of that hurt. However, there is an aspect of romantic comedies I think um, will be interesting f- for us as we read into Hosea. Not that Hosea is a romantic comedy in any way, but there is an aspect of romantic comedies that that I think is what one of the things that enthralls us as we watch them is the connection the emotional connection that we build with the characters in the romantic comedy as you watch a romantic comedy even though you know and this is not reality it's not true these things don't happen this way you you form a relation uh, emotional connection with the characters and as those characters go through the emotional roller coaster of the the plot line you ride that roller coaster with them when, when that betrayal happens, you feel sad because the relationship has been damaged. When one or both characters in the, in the relationship do things that are just really not, don't make any sense, and we would say are stupid and really ill-advised, you cringe because you know the effect that that's going to have on the relationship and how it's going to make things even worse. And then in the end, When there is this reconciliation, the grand romantic gesture, our hearts are filled with joy and excitement because that's what we all wanted, a happy ending, correct? There's that emotional connection, and that's what keeps us watching uh, the whole movie to the end. Well, when we open and go to Hosea this morning, I want to encourage you to connect with the characters in our passage today in a similar way. Connect emotionally emotionally. This is a drama. The story of Hosea is a drama, and, and it's playing out as an expression of the relationship between God and His people. And we should feel connected emotionally to the story of Hosea. We should cringe when we read about Israel or Gomer's unfaithfulness. We should feel that weight and guilt of our own lives. We should cringe and shudder in fear when we read about the punishments God has for those who break his covenant. But we also must feel the joy and elation and true redemption that we find in Hosea as well as God redeems his people because he is our redeemer. And that is our the title for our sermon today and that is the point of Our message today. Let me uh, begin by reading all of chapter 2 and 3, as I think that the whole text will give us the needed context for the message this morning. Let's let's read. I'm starting in verse 2 of uh, chapter 2. Plead with your mother. Plead, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband, that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have no mercy because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers. Who gave me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore I will hedge up her way with thorns. I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers but not overtake them. And she shall seek them but she shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband for it was better for me then than now and she did not know that it was i who gave her the grain the wine and the oil and who lavished her on her silver and gold which she used for bale therefore i will take take my grain take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season and i will take away my wool and my flax which were to cover her nakedness Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them. I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals, when she burned offerings to them and adjoined adjoined herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her, and there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she will answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day declares the Lord, you will call my call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my bale. For I will remove the names of the bales from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make her make for Excuse me. Make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow and the sword and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord." And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow for her myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man, and is an adulteress even as the lord loves the children of israel though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins so i bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lecteth of barley and i said to her you must dwell as mine for many days you shall not play the whore or belong to another man so i will so will i also be to you for the children of israel shall dwell many days without king or prince without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to to his goodness in the latter days. The story of Hosea and Gomer is one that most of us have at least have some recognition to. Uh, But it is one that is is definitely very dramatic. But it is one that is a representation, an expression of the relationship between God and his people, Israel. The unfaithfulness of Israel as opposed to the faithfulness of God in spite of that unfaithfulness. And as we see in chapter 2, That unfaithfulness is not taken lightly. God does not see it as a trivial thing. And the first 13 verses of of chapter 2 are very stark and bleak as in terms of God's dealing with Israel's sin. I have three points this morning that, that I would like for us to take home. The first is, God in his redeeming grace makes sin miserable for his people. The second, God in his redeeming grace always allures his people back to himself. And third, God in his redeeming grace purchases our redemption in in full, once and for all. In chapter 2, verses 2 through 13 we see quite an interesting display of what god does for his people in their sin god makes sin miserable for israel and we see this in especially in verses 5 through 9 god is making things hard for her. He's laying waste to to Israel's vineyards. He's taking away the things that he had given her. This work of God, this act of judgment and punishment of God is important for us to recognize is actually an act of his grace. It's an act of his grace for his people in that he is making sin for Israel miserable. The Old Testament, especially in the wisdom literature, is filled with the cries of the saints asking God, why are the wicked so happy? Why do they succeed? Why is their way easy? Why is my way so hard when I try and obey your word? There is this idea that wickedness seems to be, for the wicked, a pretty good thing. But we see in Hosea, that's not the case for God's people. As, as the people of Israel go into their wicked ways, God does not give them success. He does not make it easy for them, He makes it hard and frustrating. He does, in verses 2 through 4, four he describes the curse. And what the curse will be like for Israel. He uses this language, this covenantal language of curses and blessings. He makes clear that Israel's sin is in her idolatry and following after these other gods is breaking of the covenant. And because she's broken the covenant that she made with God, she will suffer the curses. Curses like being stripped naked, being made like a wilderness like a parched land, being killed with thirst. Upon her children I will have, no, have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom. This curse is being passed down along the generations. She is receiving the punishment for her sins in the form of curses. In verse 6 and uh, through 8, he says... God says, therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She will pursue her lovers and not overtake them. She will seek them and not find them. God, in his cursing, in his punishment, is not allowing Israel to find satisfaction in her sin. It's not allowing Israel to find the success and the and the joy that she thinks she will find in following after these other gods. These other gods, of course, are the gods of the Canaanite religion, specifically Baal. Baal is was known as the storm god and the god of fertility. And part of being in Baal worship was sacrifice and prostitution. And you would go to the temple of Baal and you would participate in temple prostitution for the sake of fertility of your lands and your crops god in his cursing of his people he what they were doing going to baal to to receive fertile lands and good crops he was frustrating them by making their land like a wasteland like a wilderness parched and like a desert not fruitful israel was suffering the consequences of her sin in real time as God made her sin miserable. In verses 9 through 12, he goes into greater detail just how, as to what the curses will be like for Israel. He will take back the provisions that he gave her. He will embarrass her in front of her lovers. He will put an end to all of the pleasures of sin. And he will destroy all that she has gained as a result of her sin. She will be left with nothing. And then in verse 13, he makes it very clear that this is all a result of her worship to Baal. You see, Israel, from her kings down, had forsaken the worship of the Lord in Jerusalem and taken up these practices of Baal worship. Israel believed that they had to make sacrifices, that they had to go to the temple and participate in the prostitution there. Israel had forgotten that it was the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who provided for them from year to year and turned their backs on him in order to pursue other gods. Israel was not willing to acknowledge who their true Lover was, and they sought after the pleasures of another love in Baal. But God did not let them go completely into their sinful pleasures and desires. He made sin miserable. He made sin frustrating. He hedged up their paths with thorns. He built a wall in their way so they could not accomplish all that they wanted to accomplish in their sin. He brought them low with the pain of curses because they broke his covenant. They truly were feeling the weight of their sin. But brothers and sisters, how easily do we forget, like Israel, the goodness of the Lord and turn to other people and other things? to meet our every need or desire or pleasure. And how angry and frustrated do we get when those things do not satisfy us? We are not less sinful or prone to idolatry than the people of Israel in Hosea's time. It may look different. And though we create different gods than the ones that Israel sinfully worshipped, in the end we still regularly push God away and pursue lesser loves for our immediate satisfaction. We, as we identify with the characters in Hosea and emotionally connect to them, we must identify with Israel and her sin. That we, like Israel, are prone to wander and worship other gods. And idolatry in Hosea is given quite a very necessary image in the image of adultery because it is unfaithfulness. God is our first love. And when we search after some other God, some other thing, another person, and put them before God, it is adultery. We are loving something other than God more than God. And we, that is sin. Sin. Idolatry is as real and relevant today as it was when Hosea was written. As God's people, we must first see how offensive idolatry is to God and then examine our individual and corporate lives for the things and people we have put before the one true God. When we read Hosea, we must ask ourselves, what gods have we gone after? How have we turned our backs from the one true God and worshipped idols? We must also see from verses 2 through 13 that God does not take sin lightly. And his righteousness requires that it is dealt with. But he is is just as serious about being merciful to his people as he is about bringing judgment on sin. And that brings us to our second point. God, in his redeeming grace, always allures his people back to himself. God, in his grace, makes sin miserable, but he doesn't leave us in that miserable state with no hope. He always calls us back to himself and allures us to himself. I love verse 14 and verses 15 it says therefore behold i will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her and there i will give her her vineyards and make the valley of achor a door of hope and there she shall answer as in the days of her youth as at the time when she came out of the land of egypt if you notice in verses 2 through 13 this idea of wilderness really is an idea is a picture of judgment and curse. But in verse 14, God switches that up. And wilderness becomes the idea of blessing. Wilderness becomes the place where God will bring his people away, out and away from her sin and speak tenderly to her and allure him to her to himself and restore that relationship that has been broken. God did this in in the wilderness when he brought the people out of Egypt. And he made a covenant with them. And he reflects back to that time in verse 15. And he says that it will be like that day when Israel came out and made covenant with me in in the wilderness. The wilderness becomes this place of blessing. And that is common throughout scripture. That idea that the wilderness can be both a curse and a blessing. And what's important for us to notice is that's because curses and blessings go hand in hand with God's covenant people. The curses of God's covenant are meant to bring God's people back to him in repentance. When God's people sin and they receive the curses for their sin, the whole point of God pouring out his curses on his people is so that they will then turn and repent and come back to him. God's blessings, God's grace is not just in his blessing. It is also in the curses that he pours out on his people. He does not let his people go. God promises in verse 15 restoration and forgiveness. He says he will give back to her the vineyards that he's taken away. The valley of Acor, which means trouble, the valley of trouble, will not be a curse to her, but it will be a door of hope, a means to hope for her. God, in his redeeming grace, makes the curses that we experience for sin become and turn into blessings as he restores that relationship with which we have broken And this brings us to our third point, our final point, that God in his redeeming grace not just curses and blesses his people, but he purchases our redemption in full once and for all. In verses 16 through 23 of chapter 2, we are given a glimpse of that, the day, the great day that is to come, the day of the Lord. And he says, the text says, And in that day that declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my baal, for I will remove the names of the bales from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for her them a covenant on that day, with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground, and I will abolish the bow and the sword And war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. God will and does restore His people to that right relationship which was lost because of our sin. And in verses sixteen through. 20 we see that restoration of the day that is to come the day of the lord the day when all things will be made new when we will no longer worship other gods we'll no longer go after other loves god will make a covenant once and for all with a covenant of peace with all of creation And everything will be made right. And we will lay down in safety. That is the promise of God's redemption. That is what God in his blessings and his curses and his covenant love for his people is working everyone towards. And then he also promises to make Israel his bride. A bride for all of eternity one that will, in which she will receive righteousness, justice, steadfast love, and mercy, and she will remain faithful to him. He is giving us a glimpse of heaven and the restored, perfect union with God. And then in, verses, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, God commands Hosea to act this redemption out. And he tells Hosea to go and buy his wife out of prostitution, to purchase her and to bring her back, so that he may love her the way in which God loves his people. Verse chapter three, verse one. And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisin. Even in the midst of our idolatry, our unfaithfulness to God, he still his love is, remains constant and unending. And in Hosea, he instructs, Hosea, to go and redeem his wife out of prostitution. And this is, for us, an expression of God's love for his people, for those who put their faith in him. That even though our sin is great, even though we chase after numerous other gods, and our, our unfaithfulness faithfulness to God stretches to places that we don't even, aren't even aware of, God, in his redeeming grace, purchases us back and makes us his own. He pays the price. Hosea goes and he pays the price of the prostitute so that she can be purchased out. God, in redeeming his people, purchases us from sin through the blood of God of his son, Jesus Christ. God does not take sin lightly because his righteousness requires justice for sin. And as Hosea redeems his wife by paying the price, God pays a price as well. But his price is much greater. The price for redemption of God's people was the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, the blood of the spotless lamb, The blood of the spotless lamb was the blood of God's own son, and through his sacrifice, God has paid the price for your sin and my sin, and for the sin of all who believe. This redemption is complete, and this redemption is paid in full. This redemption we have in Christ is eternal. God in his redeeming grace purchases our redemption through the blood of his son Jesus Christ for all of eternity and there's nothing that can take that away. And he redeems us to himself as his bride and he restores us to the right relationship with him so that we no longer confuse him with other gods but know him As he truly is, our God, our Redeemer, our Father in Heaven, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who lives within us. He makes himself known to us so that we might live as his own children. Friends, maybe you have experienced the miserable miserable effects of sin in your life. Maybe you are feeling them right now. And nothing you do seems to make it better. No sin seems to make it better. No amount of good work seems to make it better. Maybe you just are feeling really tired of of the effects of sin on your life. Maybe you would say you feel like you've been cursed. Or maybe you believe that God has it out for you. Hear me when I say... This is God's grace in your life, waking you up to the horrible effects of sin and the destruction it brings to those who reject Christ. God is giving you a taste of what your sin leads to in hell. He is, in His grace, showing you to, that to you today so that you can repent and call out to Him, for redemption, the redemption that only he can give you. If you are in a place spiritually where you feel like you are at the end of your abilities. And you cannot get yourself out of this pit that you find yourself in. Then that is God calling you to himself in faith and repentance. He's alluring you to himself. And his gospel speaks tenderly to you calling you to faith and repentance, to receive the forgiveness and redemption that he has bought by the blood of his Son. His desire is to redeem you and make you his child. And he is doing that just even in this moment through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Do not turn your back on him, but hear his tender, kind voice and turn to him in faith. And you will be restored completely The redemption of God's people is not like the superficial, touchy-feely redemption that you get at the end of a romantic comedy. That redemption, that restoration is, is weak. It's shallow. It doesn't last. Because the true pain and sin and brokenness of that relationship is not dealt with. But in God's redemption, the pain the sin, the brokenness of that relationship is dealt with completely and fully in his son Jesus Christ. And so that redemption, that restoration that we see here in Hosea, that we know by faith in Jesus Christ is full and complete, and it is our hope for all of life and eternity. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks, for you are our Redeemer, and your grace is perfect and pleasing, even in the midst of great pain and suffering as a result of sin. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would waken our hearts to our sin, convict us And call us back to yourself that we may repent in faith and be restored to you. We pray these things in Christ's name. The one who does redeem us completely. Amen.